We are in uh, part seven. I can't believe we're, we're two months into this series on prayer uh, that we're calling, you know, is anyone out there uh, kind of talking through how we connect with God, how we use prayer, not just as a, uh, you know, some faith practice, but an actual intimate way that we connect uh, with our creator. And we've talked about all kinds of different prayers and different ways that we've experienced prayer growing up, you know, maybe for you, your first idea of prayer was a bedtime prayer or a prayer around a meal, or maybe you grew up in a church that was, you know, a praying church. They just prayed uh, all the time as every aspect of, uh, of their church and or just been in a family, maybe where prayer was maybe not present and you've just seen it. Maybe you've been a part of it now in our church and, and trying to figure it out. I grew up, as, as many of you know, in a uh, told you in church and in a Christian family. So I've been kind of around prayer my whole life to practice a prayer most of my life. And I, I remember as, uh, as we got into probably high school uh, and we would be in discipleship groups and they would begin to challenge students to pray and pray out loud in groups. One of two things would usually happen. We'd be in a group with like a bunch of guys or whatever and they would be like, all right, we're going to take a few minutes. We're going to all bow our head, close our eyes. We're going to let, you know, pray as the Lord leads. And basically we would do that. And in some groups, nobody would pray, right? Everybody would just keep, be very silent and, and nobody would pray. And then in other groups, like as you got a little more into it, people would start praying. Like one, one guy would start to pray and then another guy would try to outdo his prayer and then somebody would outdo there. And we'd be there for two hours praying, just outdoing each other's prayers. And, and what we're learning in all of this study is what prayer is, what it isn't, how it impacts our lives, you know, we started this study looking at the idea of what prayer isn't. It's not this performance, right, where we try to impress other people or even impress God to get them to do something for us. We also said it's not a ritual, that we just use certain words or certain, if we can say things a certain way or a certain amount of times, then, then we'll get God to do something for us, kind of like an incantation. And, and that's not what prayer is. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6 that that's not what prayer is. It's not a performance. It's not a ritual. And then... Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the actual model prayer that Jesus gives us, right? Where we've actually started looking at what is prayer. And we, we defined prayer as moving into God's presence for an advantageous purpose. That's what the root words of prayer led us to understand, that we move closer to God for a purpose to bring advantage into our life, to bring a, a better perspective into our life, more understanding into our life, more wisdom into our life, to experience forgiveness and hope into our lives. It's moving closer to God to experience the goodness of God. But then we looked at the actual words that Jesus used in the model prayer. And there were kind of three things that we remembered there. And we, the first was we were reminding ourselves who we're having a conversation with, right? This was the first way to approach prayer. Remember who you're having this conversation with. That it is it's God, yes, but he is a father in heaven whose name is hallowed. This idea that he is our father. We have this intrinsic connection with him. And from heaven, he can see more and understand more than we ever could. And his name is hallowed, which means he is holy. And he has compassion for us. And what he does and how he speaks to us is good. And so we begin prayer, this model prayer that Jesus gives, remembering who we are praying to, who we're having a conversation with. But then we looked at the idea of praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we remembered what we're having a conversation about. God's kingdom, we said, was about community and compassion, connecting us with one another and growing in compassion 
with one another. And that his will was not trying to impose a will on somebody else, but it was actually about hope and healing. And so that's what we are praying about. That's the conversations we're talking. So when we talk to God, it's God, how do I have more compassion? How do we build more community? How do I, you know, exemplify hope and healing and what's going on in my life or the prayer needs that I'm bringing before you? And then last week, we looked at the third level, the third aspect of this model, and it was help us remember what God has done, is doing, and will do in our lives. And we talked about when he says, you know, forgive me our sins as we forgive those, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is these deal with all the anxieties we have in our life. The fear of not being able to be forgiven, feeling like a failure, of not being able to forgive, having unresolved anger in our life or having unresolved fear in our life about being able to not give in to temptation, or despair in our life when it comes to thinking that evil will overcome us, and how God, as we can look back at our life and see what he's done, see what he is doing, and the promises of what he will do in the future. It's a beautiful model of prayer. It's this amazing model when you look at it of what it is. It's a formula. And now as we come to this next section of chapter 11, where Jesus has finished sharing this model prayer, he's now going to use some stories to illustrate to us a few principles about how to put this type of prayer into action in our lives. It's great to know the formulas, but now he's going to show us how to actually use the formula. When I was in college, I have a minor in physics, which doesn't mean anything other than like I took a lot of physics classes. I don't ever use that uh, really. Uh, it's not part of our normal church life for me to deal with particle acceleration and stuff like that. But I remember when I was in college, when my professor in physics would allow us to have a cheat sheet, a formula cheat sheet. He can said, you can write any formula you want on here, but you can't use words. You can't tell you, you can, you just know the formula because he said in, in life, you'll be able to look up these formulas. So we would put, I mean, I had an index card. We could use one index card filled with every formula. I, you know, A equals B, A squared equals B squared, C squared, all, everything, Pythagorean's theorem, all these kind of stuff that are on there. But here was the catch. You couldn't put on there what it was for. So when you were going through, you had to figure out which formula was to be used for this question. You had to understand enough of the concepts to be able to put them into practice. And I feel like that's kind of what Jesus has done here. He's given us a beautiful formula for prayer. Pray to our God in heaven, whose name is hallowed, for his kingdom and his will to be done and to deal with all the anxieties and stresses of our life. But how do we actually put that into practice? How does that flow into our life? And this is what we're going to focus on over the next three weeks as we bring this series to a close. How do we put this formula into practice? And today we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8, and this story that Jesus tells us to illustrate a principle that we should embrace when it comes to prayer. And it's, a, it's an odd story, but we're going to look at it and then talk about it a little bit. So let me read Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 8, and it says this. And then he said to them, so he had just finished talking about the prayer, and he said, and now he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. But I tell you, Jesus says, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, 
he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, first of all, when we read this story, we must realize that this is not a parable that Jesus is sharing. All right. Usually the parables start with something about the kingdom of God is like this. And we can look at a parable and go, you know, we look and understand better the character and nature of God. So we don't look at this story from a parable perspective and go, okay, God is like our neighbor in the story. And we're the ones waking him up in the middle of the night with some kind of need that has suddenly arrived at our door unexpectedly and at an inconvenient time. And if we just keep bothering him enough, then maybe God will do something for us. That's not what this story is telling us. All right, that's not at all. What do we do with this story then? We try to understand the context and the point of it and the principle that Jesus is trying to teach here. To better understand this principle, we have to better understand the cultural context of the story. And actually the story is kind of a comedy of tragedies. It's like everything that could go wrong is going wrong in this story for this guy. Think about it for a minute. This is a culture where hospitality was supreme. In the Jewish culture of that day, the idea of not opening your door to a friend in need uh, would have been unheard of, unheard of. And to be be able to offer something, you walk into somebody's door, uh, you did not walk in and them not offer you food, wine, something to welcome you in. So think about this, a friend shows up at your place at midnight, unannounced, unexpected, and you are totally unprepared. You're already in bed and you are just completely caught off guard. You ever had a phone call like that or somebody ring your doorbell in the middle of the night and you're like, oh my gosh, what, what is going on here? That's what's happening to this guy. But not only did he show up unexpected, but at that moment he caught you completely unready for guest. Like you, you ate everything in the house. You emptied every bottle of wine. Like there's nothing there for this guy. You're going shopping in the morning or whatever, but you show, this guy shows up, this friend, maybe you haven't seen in years. He's, maybe he got on a flight to JFK that he was going across country and it got canceled. And now he's like, I need to stay at your place tonight. I got nowhere else to stay. And he's like, I haven't eaten since yesterday because of our flights. And you're like, sorry, man, I got nothing. No food, no drink, no leftovers. The cupboard is empty. And this guy's been on a long journey and needs something to eat and drink. And there is no store, right, to go and buy something from. No ingredients to prepare a meal. So you're left with this horrible thought of, like, what do I do for this guy? And I think, you know what? My neighbor across the hall, they always have food. They always got something. And you're looking at your watch. It's like midnight, 1230 now, you know, and you're like, all right, I'm just going to go tiptoe across and, like, just barely tap on the door and see if I can get this guy's attention, right? But in this culture, the way, the way life happened there, they didn't just sleep like master bedroom, kid's bedroom. They all slept in one area. Everybody's together. And so if you're going to wake one person up, guess what? You're going to wake everybody up. And so you go and knock on the door, no answer. You knock a little harder, you know, no answer. You ring, you know, knock, knock, knock. Finally, you hear someone say, what, what are you doing? What's going on? And, and he says, leave me alone. We're trying to sleep. And you're like, I just need just a little something for my friend who showed up. And he's like, no, go back to sleep. I'll bring you something in the morning. And he's just overwhelmed. Like, no, I'm not going to get you something. But you can't imagine going back home empty-handed. So what do you do? You ring again. You're not, you, that, that uncomfortable feeling you get sometimes of like, you just like, oh, I got to do this again. <laughs> like embarrassment this way or embarrassment that way. I, I don't know which one to pick. And so you ring and you knock again. 
And this time you hear him stir again. But not only that, now the baby starts crying. The wife is like, what is going on? Like, deal with this. Let's all get back to bed. And finally he comes to the door. It's like throws you a sack of bread and some wine and says, get out of my hair. Go back home and take care of whatever you need to do. That's what's happening in this story. And I can imagine as Jesus is telling this story to his disciples, they were like, oh man, first of all, this guy shows up at midnight and you got no food. Now you got to go. It's like just worse and worse and worse. It's the worst possible scenario you can think of. And Jesus is painting this picture of this situation that no one would want to find themselves in. No one. In a place of need to help a friend, to deal with an unexpected circumstance, and to not have the resources to help. Hospitality was such a huge part of the culture, and the idea of turning this friend away or not giving him food and drink was unfathomable. But then to have to go and ask and help to save your own face and reputation, you have to go do the same thing to somebody else. This isn't a story with a moral to it, but it's a story that makes a point and provides a principle. And here's the principle that Jesus is talking about here, that there is power in persistence. There's power in persistence, in the persistence of prayer. And he's attaching this to persistent prayer. There is power in persistence. If your friend, your neighbor, hear this, if your friend or your neighbor will give to you at the height of inconvenience because of your persistence, then how much more will God, who is ready, willing, and able to respond to you, give out of the abundance of his grace as you persist in prayer? Even this guy, completely being inconvenienced because he is your friend and understands hospitality, will give to you because you keep persisting at the door. Just at least get rid of you. How much more so will this God that we've talked about, who is your father, who loves you, who sees, has the resources of the whole world available to you, how much more so will he give to you as you persist in prayer? So what Jesus does here, actually, when he starts to put this idea of persisting in prayer out there, praying over and over again, of continually coming before God. Why can't we just, you know, the first time we meet God, say, God, I'm praying to you. Just give me whatever I need. Like, I just got one prayer. I'm going to pray it once. God, you know me. You know everything. Whatever I need, just throw it my way. We're good to go. Right? Why can't we just pray that one prayer and move on? Jesus is saying, no, there's a persistence to it, and we're going to see why that's important. And it begins because it actually faces head on the first doubt or issue that I think comes to our mind when we often pray, and it's this. I pray, and it seems like nothing happens. Ever had that? Ever experienced that? I wake up every morning, I pray, I pray at night, I pray during the day, I pray at church, I write my prayers down in a journal, I share my prayer requests with others, I get people to pray on my behalf, and guess what? Nothing happens. The situation stays the same. The challenge doesn't go away. The unexpected guests keep showing up at midnight every night, wanting more food, knocking on my door, and I don't have what they need. I pray, and it feels like nothing happens. And when this happens, we can start to walk down a path that leads us to some difficult places, right? First, we can feel disconnected. Is God even listening to me? Is he even there? We start to feel alone and abandoned. We start comparing our prayers and situations with other people, and it seems like God is working in their lives. They have figured out the secret formula to prayer, and they're getting everything they want, and I'm not getting anything. When we pray and don't think that God hears us or is willing to do anything for us, then our hearts can grow disconnected and lonely and detached from God. 
which leads us to a second place we can start to grow discouraged. We become discouraged when we don't feel like our prayers are being listened to or answered. We literally, as that word says, discourage, we lose the courage to ask God for anything more. We start to believe that he is either not listening or doesn't want to listen to us. We think he's uninterested or unconcerned with our needs and desires, and it causes us to lose heart, lose faith, lose motivation to pray any longer. And this leads us to a third place where we, want, we don't want to be disappointed anymore. We've prayed in the past and not really seen a difference, so I don't want to go through that again. God disappointed me last time when I prayed for healing or prayed for my mom to get better or my brother to deal with this, whatever it is, whatever I prayed for, God didn't come through. God disappointed me last time. I don't want to be disappointed again, so I just don't pray about it. I take the burden completely on my own shoulders and try to bear it. Because if God keeps disappointing me, you know what? Then maybe he isn't who he says he is. Maybe I've placed my faith in something that isn't real. I've been fooling myself into thinking God is something that he actually isn't. And he cares, you know, does God actually know me? Does he care for me? Does he even desire good for me? And I'm not sure I could live with that if I think about it that deeply. If I keep getting disappointed over and over again. To be honest, I have felt all of these feelings before in my life. This journey of being disconnected, discouraged, and then ultimately disappointed. I've experienced those. And I'll share a story this morning of, of where that really took root in my life. If you've been around, you may have I've shared this before, but in 1995, I was a youth minister at a church. And we were at a camp. Uh, I was speaking at that camp, I helped lead that camp, and it was a Wednesday night. I can remember exactly where we were, and uh, it was a long day, and I had, I went to bed that night, and my voice was a little scratchy and, uh, and sore. Just, I'd been screaming all day. You know, it's a youth camp, right? Every year, a lot of, lot of loud yelling. Well, I wake up the next morning, and I have no voice. My voice is gone. I'm like, all right, you know, it'll come back. I'd drink tea, I'd gargle with salt water, do all those things. A long story short, I couldn't speak for six months after that, like above a whisper, barely a whisper. And I began to, to go on a journey of meeting with doctors, trying to figure out what was going on. Every doctor I went to came up with a different scenario of what could have happened, why it could happen. And it basically came down to this. We don't know. We don't know. Like we can see physically you have a, a paralyzed vocal cord that's not moving, but we don't know what caused it or what we can do to help it. And so after six months of this, I began to, to barely be able to teach myself to speak again, like slowly. And I could talk for about 10 minutes before my voice would go away. And I, I'm a minister. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. Like I'm, I'm getting angry with God at this point. Like, hold on, God. You know, you called me to do this. You, you wanted me to speak for you, to teach for you. Like, Look, look how good I am and how you take my voice. Like, I need my voice back so I can tell people about you. Like, I'm putting this on God. Like, I'm, getting, I'm going through a thousand different emotions. Pride is welling up of like, how dare you do this to me? Why me? You know, this, this is my livelihood. All the different feelings. Well, this goes on for about five years where I would, I would have stints where my voice would get better and then it would fall away. Better and fall away. And as we're going through this, I'm, I'm serving at another church at this time, and we're going through this prayer series sim similar to this, except it was called Him Possibles. You know, God, only things God can do, Him Possibles. And for the whole summer, 
we had, we had come up and at the beginning of that summer wrote our hymn possibles on a piece of paper and put them on the altar. And we were all praying for those all summer that God would break through. And all summer we were hearing testimonies of people, you know, how debt had been eliminated in their life. New opportunities for jobs had come in, like answer prayer, answer prayer, answer prayer, answer prayer, answer prayer. You can imagine the one, people wrote three or four things on their card. I wrote one thing on my card, my voice. That was it. And it's luck, I say luck, as God would have it, I was scheduled to preach the last night of the impossible campaign to like sum it all up and to celebrate, tell the stories and to give testimony for what God had done for all these answered prayers. That afternoon, I'm sitting in my office trying to put together some kind of sermon because I don't know what I'm going to say. Because you know what God had not done in my life at that point? Answered the prayer I wrote down on that. You know what I felt? Disappointed, discouraged, disconnected, all of those things. And what I learned through that journey was that I was praying, but I wasn't praying like Jesus had taught us to pray. I was praying outcome-based prayers. Prayers begging that God do something for me. Prayers that created scorecards where prayers became either victories or defeat. I was looking at my life circumstance as a reflection of my prayer life and God's ability to answer my prayers. And all this eventually led me to stop praying, to stop connecting with God. And I felt disconnected, discouraged, and disappointed. And honestly, I did not get the answer to my prayer, my impossible, until about 45 minutes before I was supposed to go on stage and speak that night. And in the last few minutes before I was heading up there, I, everybody knew, some of my closest friends knew what was going on, the, the struggle I was facing, and, and they were praying, God, wouldn't it be amazing if when Patrick gets up to preach, you would heal his voice while he's preaching? Like, just make it come back. And I want to tell you, about 45 minutes before I go on that stage, through some counsel and some other books I was reading, God just came to me, and he's, and he's like, Patrick, what would you rather have? The answer to your prayer? your voice or a deeper relationship with me? Which one? And I don't know what I'm saying that I had to choose between the two, but that's what I was creating in my mind. It's either God, give me what I want, or I don't believe you're who you say you are. And what I had to realize is my ultimate answer to my prayer was God. God's presence in my life, God's graciousness that he's already poured out in my life. It wasn't whether just I could speak again whether I could talk again, whether my voice would be healed. He didn't just want my voice to be healed. He wanted my heart to be whole. And, and maybe bring up this question, why is the health of my voice a reflection of God's goodness and graciousness? It's not. Then it caused me to ask, why does any part of my physical health reflect the goodness and graciousness of Jesus? Why, do, why does my financial and vocational situation reflect the goodness and graciousness of Jesus? Think about it for a minute. What if we viewed the faithfulness of God and the graciousness of God by how many times he healed someone from sickness? Do you know what happens to just about everybody we know? They, they die, right? Eventually, they're not going to be healed from sickness. So if we're using that as a scorecard, guess what? God's got a pretty bad batting average, right? Everybody dies in the end. And so it made me realize everything that I had, this outcome-based prayer, where I'm waiting for God to do this, do that, do this, to prove to me who he is on outcomes, 
I had to change my perspective. What I was praying was that where God, what Jesus teaches us to pray is not outcome-based prayers, but income-based prayers. Not what do I get, not income like money, but what's happening on the inside of me. How that's changing who I am. And I'm grateful that over the last 15 years, that, that night was in July of 2000 when I preached that. And in the 22 years since then, uh, God has restored my voice to an extent uh, there are times I still struggle. The voice I have right now is not the voice I had in college, but you know what? It's okay. I'm fine. It is not about circumstantial changes in my life. It is about character changes and character challenges that God has dealt with me. I can tell you, if I had not had to walk through that journey, I would be a much prideful person, much more prideful person today than I was then. I, w- I would be much more reliant on my own strength. I would have a different perspective on life. I'd probably be in a different place of ministry if I didn't have to walk through that. But I am happy to be where I am. Prayer isn't the secret sauce for a great physical life, financial life, vocational life, or relational life. No, it is a tool for connecting with our creator through the storms and hardships that come into our life. Prayer is a pathway through hardships, not a rescue from them. And it reminds me of this passage out of 2 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth and it says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18, tell us this. So we do not lose heart. That's that discouraged, disconnected stuff that we're talking about. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And I realized in this moment, in that moment when I was really struggling with this, that I had gotten off formula. I'd stopped praying because I'd forgotten how Jesus had taught us how to pray, had taught me how to pray. I was praying how I wanted to pray, for the outcomes I determined were meaningful. I was praying for my outer self to be restored, not for my, while my inner self wasted away. I was praying for deliverance from affliction instead of eternal glory and hope. And I was praying for things that were temporary instead of things that were eternal. It reminded me as I processed through that, that there is power in prayer, but it's got to be the right kind of prayer. And that's why he tells us to persist in the way that he modeled for us to pray. When you pray, pray this way. Persist in the right way. You know, you can persist in the wrong way. Uh, That's what I was doing. I was praying in the wrong way. I was doing a lot, and it discouraged me, led me to not wanting to do it anymore. And I I was up this morning uh, looking through some of the sports news, seeing what some of the scores were last night, and I'm not happy with baseball scores. Anyway, we can talk about that later. But anyways, we were. I saw this news article about this snapper for a a college football team who had the worst day of his life yesterday. He's a long snapper. Yesterday, he snapped four snaps over the punter's head that ended up going out of the end zone for safeties, which is eight points. The team lost by five points. This guy basically, he persisted. He kept snapping, but he was snapping horribly every time, and it was going over the punter's head, costing the game. So just, just waking up and saying, God, I'm going to pray, 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 pray is not persisting if we're not praying the right way. And what happens when we don't follow the formula? How do we 
you know, end up giving our own, our team a loss or lose, losing things in our life, I think what happens is this. We start to, in our minds, we start what I call circle the drain. We just focus on the negatives in our life. We put all the focus on our anxieties, our, where we're failing, where our fears are, where we can't forgive. And we don't invite God into that. When we get off formula looking for outcomes, only outcomes based, we just start circling the drain, looking at all the negatives. Or we start doing this. We start to try to give God direction. Here's how you got to solve this. And we pray for my kingdom and my will to be accomplished. And we ask God to do things against his character and nature and do the way that I want them to be. And third, I think when we get off formula, we start to keep to ourselves. Again, we think God's not interested or concerned or he's impotent toward our needs and desires. He's just not involved. And so then I just become isolated to myself. So what is the best prayer to pray when we get off formula and we start feeling disconnected, discouraged, and disappointed? It's this. Lord, teach me to pray and keep me praying. Lord, teach me to pray and keep me praying. That's what the disciples, that's what this starts with, right? This whole chapter starts with, you know, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. And as he teaches it, he's now saying, keep praying this way. Lord, help me to be willing to come to you even in the dark of night. When things come into my life unexpected, when I don't know what to do, where to turn, or what to even say, Lord, help me to stop looking to you just to solve my problems and instead look to you to bring healing and hope into my heart and soul. And when we persist in this kind of prayer, realizing God is our Father who sees and knows more and is holy and gracious, and we're praying for his hope and healing to happen in our lives and other lives and community and compassion to thrive as his kingdom and will are done and to realize the breadth of his blessings from past to present to future will guide me through the darkest of nights, the darkest of times, then it changes how I pray about what's going on in my life. And here's what I think when we persist in this kind of prayer, it will do. One, it will help me better understand the character and nature of God. When I'm praying every day, our Father in heaven, whose name is hallowed, and I'm remembering that, it reminds me the spiritual is far more important than the physical, and that God knows how to balance burdens and blessings in my life. He's not leaving me stranded. He understands what I'm walking through, but it helps me better understand his character and nature. And then the second thing it does is this. It reshapes my understanding of what I need to pray for. Things start to shift in my life. I've seen this in my life many, many times when this is what I started out praying for. God, this person hurt me, hurt them. Bring pain into their life. Help them know how much pain I felt. Or, God, I lost this job. Just give me, I need a job tomorrow. Give me provision. Give me finances, whatever it is. I'm telling him what I need. He always it shifts when, I, when I'm praying this prayer and I realize he is in heaven and I'm praying for his will to come and he sees things beyond me, then it shifts how our prayers like, God, help me to trust you more instead of just giving me things that will cause me to trust in those things. It shifts how I pray. And poor circumstances or physical afflictions do not become a barrier to an abundant faith and a pathway toward faith. It's just a pathway that we walk. And the third thing that it does when we pray persistently is it makes me realize that prayer is not about getting God to act on my behalf, but learning how I can respond to his gracious nature that he's already shown us. God is not a genie in a bottle. He's not a vending machine. If we put in the right coins or rub the bottle the right way, then Jesus, our God, will respond. 
No, prayer is not that at all. <coughs> Excuse me. Instead, it is us realizing that God has already poured out everything. God is not holding back from us. We don't have to convince him to pour out some blessings on us. He's saying instead, lean into me. Remember, what is prayer? It's moving closer to God to help us have an advantageous point of view, perspective. Doesn't mean that he removes us, right? But now I can fight this battle from God's perspective, with God's wisdom, God's knowledge, and God's understanding. The key idea is this. Our persistent practice of prayer allows us to experience the persistent presence of God's graciousness in our lives. I, I, <coughs> as I was on this journey, there were two books that really helped me during this time. And I want to share them with you. If you happen to be in this spot in your life or at some spot in the future where you just feel like God's not listening and the pain's too much. The first one that was very helpful was a book called The Bumps Are What We Climb On by a guy named Warren Wiersbe. Warren Wiersbe is a great theologian, uh, wrote many commentaries on the New and Old Testament. This is a book about how to deal when, when we're facing problems in life. And it's a beautiful picture of, you know what, the bumps that come into our life are actually kind of the handholds that help us grow in our faith and move forward. The second one, I think the one that really impacted me during this is a book called When Heaven is Silent by a guy named Ron Dunn. Ron Dunn, he's passed away now, but uh, Ron uh, dealt with a son who committed suicide. Ron was a a pastor uh, and found out that while he was preaching one time, his son committed suicide. Just devastated him. Went on a journey of trying to figure out what it, you know, God, what, why, 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 why? And for a long time, he said, you know, I felt like heaven was silent. I wasn't getting back an answer. I didn't feel like God was hearing me. And it's a, it's a book of a beautiful journey of how he journeyed through that process with God and his faith came out stronger and stronger on the other side. Both of these books were very helpful in dealing with things like this, which brings us to our question of the day. A question I had to ask myself at one point. What kind of prayer have you been praying? Your prayer or the Lord's prayer? I too often pray my own prayers. If Jesus didn't want us to follow his model of prayer, he wouldn't give us one. He'd just say, whatever you want to say is good. No, he gave us a beautiful model to follow. And this story, the simple story of a guy showing up at midnight in need of food, and you're out, you're empty, you got to go beg another neighbor, is a beautiful reminder that we can persist, and when we persist in prayer, God is not this neighbor who gets angry at us, but this beautiful Father and Savior who has already poured out, poured out all of his graciousness to us and is ready to respond if we will persist in his prayer, not our prayer. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Just in the stillness of this moment, it's easy to say, okay, every day I'm going to get up and recite the Lord's Prayer. That's not what this is about. It's like, and it's not a ritual, right? It's perspective. It's been passed down from generation to generation, teacher to t- student, teacher to student, teacher to student, this beautiful model of prayer. It changes our perspective. It moves us into a persistent nature of constantly wanting and desiring to be in God's presence and God's presence to be in our life. So however, there's many different ways. However, 
you need to incorporate this model into your life. Maybe it's with another person. Maybe it's just quietly, every day, reminding yourself you have a Father in heaven who's holy, whose kingdom and will are good for you, and has, has been, is doing, and will do things for you. Set that as the stage and the lens for your prayers. And then just persist in them. Keep that model going and let God reveal himself to you like never before. Father, it is such a blessing to pray. God, I have had frustrations with prayer over my years, you know. Still today at times I feel disconnected or discouraged, disappointed. God, that model that you give me and all of us every time has proven faithful to draw my gaze back to you away from this lie that outcomes determine who you are and whether prayer is effective. And instead, it's the persistence of your presence in our life that's the true answer to prayer. So God, may we feel that today tomorrow, this year, next year, in our lives, our families' lives, the lives of generations to follow us.